And seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to Psalm 102. And reading for our text, especially the first part of verse 23, he weakened my strength in the way. And it goes on, he shortened my days. Psalm 102 and verse 23. I want, with the Lord's help this evening, to continue with our series on the way. Already we have considered Jesus the way, and then the way of holiness, and then the way of peace. Another Thursday, the narrow way, and last time we met here, the right way. And so this evening, it is strength weakened in the way. It is one of the greatest blessings, if not the greatest blessing, that a person can have to be called by grace and to be brought into the way of the Lord, to walk in the narrow way, to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ in the way. And yet there is many that find that the way is not what they expected. We've sung of that in our middle hymn, where prayer was made for faith, for grace, but it was answered by crosses. And that's one of John Newton's hymns, that the actual experience at first did not seem to accord with that of the scriptures or what is expected the Lord's people to experience. And you find this right through the word, You find it with Asaph in Psalm 73 where he saw the prosperity of the wicked and yet God's people were tried, afflicted, even when it came down to death. He said there were no bands in their death. There was no trouble. They were not in trouble as other men were. And yet God's people, those other men he's referring to, were in trouble. They knew what death was. They knew the need of being saved. They knew the need of being right and what a solemn thing if they weren't. But there are those times that the people of God have looked upon their path and they've maybe said like Rebecca said when she was expecting the twins, Jacob and Esau, of course she didn't know there were twins in her womb and they struggled within her She took it to the Lord, if it be so, why am I thus? If it really is, this is fulfilling the promise. If I am to be provided with children, why these strugglings? Why all of this going on within? And the Lord answered her, told her the two nations that were within her womb and that the elder shall serve the younger. And then it was found There were twins there. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. But many of the people of God have struggled with this, that God has given them promises, given them to know the way that he'll have them to go and then the Lord has seemed to take away the very strength, the very things that they needed to walk in that way 
and it has been at least at first until the Lord's purposes have been shown them to be a very trying and a testing time. Often the devil can tempt in this, that we are not in the way at all. And so may we be encouraged this evening at looking at the way the Lord does deal with his people. I want to notice firstly, weakened before being strengthened is the way of salvation. And then secondly, the experience of God's people being weakened in the way. And we'll find one after another experience that. And then thirdly, the purpose of the Lord in dealing with his people in that way. But firstly, weakened before being strengthened is the way of salvation. And if we were to go right back and we go back to the fall and we find that man that was created upright and in God's image, that through sin, through rebellion, through believing Satan, he lost that image in great measure. He fell and in that fall, lost all the position that he had before. His fellowship, communion, union with God, he came under condemnation. The condemnation in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And we might say the salvation of all of the people of God <coughs> have all come from that fallen, lost, dead state and that condition. All have been brought from that great weakness to being blessed in the Lord Jesus Christ with eternal riches and a position that is greater than what Adam had. Adam could fall. He had a free will. He exercised it. He fell. Those in Christ can never fall. Those have an eternal inheritance. They have a better standing than Adam did before the fall. But the fall had to take place. Man is not released from any of the guilt, any of the accountability in what we have done in Adam. But if there was not the fall, we may say there would be no salvation, no need of the Lord Jesus Christ, no need of the promises as the first one the seed of the woman should bruise the serpent's head. But part of that fall was to bring man in his fallen state to think that he himself was a god, rising up against God in rebellion against him. Though in reality he is weakened and become far off from God, in his own mind he is above God. And he brings God as accountable and rises up in pride, shakes his fist at God and walks in pride. We read that Satan is king over all the children of pride. And pride is one of the chiefest sins of man to raise up against God and to rely on his own wisdom and own might instead of 
humbling himself and looking upon God. When we think of the blessing that how it's described with Manasseh, king of Judah, most wicked king, and yet when God converted him, when he saved him, it is described in terms like this, that he was brought into affliction and God humbled him. And we may say with all that the Lord deals with, he will bring them down from pride. Remember the Lord with the disciples when they were discussing in the way who was the greatest. You think, how could even the disciples of the Lord be contesting in this matter, thinking, well, who is the greatest? And yet, does it not happen amongst even the Lord's servants or amongst the Lord's people? And yet the Lord called them over, set a child in their midst and gave them a lesson in humility. But pride is one of those things that belong to our fallen and our old nature. And when the Lord begins to save that one who's walked in pride, he will bring things into their lives and into the way when they're put in the way, right the way through the way, that is to deal with their pride and to bring them down and to humble them. We think of how the Lord began his ministry in going into the temple and opening up the word of the Lord and saying that this word that was in Isaiah 61 from verse 1 was then fulfilled in their ears. <clears throat> and the blessings that he is speaking of is all to those not that are strong, not to great, but those that are weakened and low. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And in that opening introduction to his ministry, that which was prophesied 750 years before our Lord came, and that he said was fulfilled as began his ministry, it is all to the meek, the broken-hearted, to captives, those in prison, uh, those that are mourning, those that have ashes, those that have the spirit of heaviness, the message of salvation, the message that the Lord had to bring was to those that had already been brought down and brought down low and were ready to receive that blessing and that gospel of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And so it is vital that in making the Lord precious, 
that those that are in the fall, in such pride and walking as if they were king, are brought down to this position that the Lord has said he has come to save from. Then we think of our Lord himself and how he was to bring about the salvation of his people. The beautiful summary that we have in uh, Paul's epistle to the Philippians where we have in chapter 2, verse 6, our Lord Jesus Christ set forth and set forth as an example, let this mind be in you which was also in me, in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This mind is to be in us, in the Lord's dealings with us. He humbles, he brings low, that we might be then lifted up and this end word be fulfilled, that it be to the glory of God the Father. And when we think of what the Lord did on this earth and at Calvary, there's no greater example of what we have before us as weakened in the way. We're told that he was crucified through weakness, was cast at him all the time in his temptations in the wilderness by Satan, if thou be the Son of Man, command these stones that they might be made bread. Exert your, your power, your authority to do this. When he's on the cross, if thou be the Son of God, save thyself and save us. Come down, exercise thy power. But the Lord did not do that. In all the path it must have been so perplexing to dear disciples to see him who could at a word bring Lazarus out of his tomb, who could raise the dead, who could heal the sick, and yet he does not use that power. Our Lord says in the garden, put up the sword within its sheath, thinkest thou not that I could pray my father he presently give me twelve legion of angels, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? He must be brought down and humbled and brought low and it's beautifully described here the way of our salvation and so we are not to be surprised if the Lord then deals with us and through the path he leads us and in the way that we are humbled we are brought down low we are made to feel our weakness our inability, our lack of strength, our lack of wisdom, because in that way of salvation, 
we are to know something of fellowship with the Lord and his people and the very opposite to what we are by nature, full of self and full of pride and independent of God and the crown not put on the Lord's head. So weakened before being strengthened is the path, is the pattern that's set before us in the word of God. Be encouraged in our weaknesses, in our trials, that this path is not a strange path and our Lord has walked it and known it and may we also esteem it to be a privilege to be a follower of him. We want to then look secondly at the experience of God's people being weakened in the way. It is right that we know the doctrine of things, but sometimes equating that to how it happens in practice is not so easy. We think of how our Lord in John 3 speaks of the vital necessity of the new birth. And then in chapter 4, we have a practical example of the new birth in the woman at the well of Samaria and how he deals with her and draws her out to want that living water. He clearly tells her who he is, but she doesn't say that to those that she goes and sees. She says, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And the Lord used his knowledge of her to bring her to know himself. And that was the the crucial central part. But then we have in that same account, lest anyone think, well, that's the only way someone is born again, the Lord meeting with them. There were some that believed the word of the woman, her testimony, what she said. And they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Others didn't believe, but they went out to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Then when they heard him, they said, Now we believe, not because of thy word, but we have heard him ourselves. And you find right through the word and the Lord calling his own disciples as well, the different practical outworking of how someone is called and brought from darkness to light. And they're all different, but all centres in this. They all end up believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we have the being weakened in the way, how does that also relate to God's people? Well, if we begin with Abraham, and we think of the promises that were given him, that in him and in his seed should all nations be blessed. And those promises were given some 20 or so years before that Isaac was born. But before that they were to be realised, Abraham was to feel weakness in the very point where you say he must be strong. Uh, We read that uh, the, the exercise of faith in Hebrews 11 for Abraham, for Sarah 
He considered not the deadness of Sarah's womb, and yet this was a a great trial that he had to walk in, weakened that he was old, his wife was old, past bearing, and the very weakness had relation to the promise and to the fulfilment of what God had called him to do. Now we can equate that with us. If the Lord has put us in a path and put us in a ministry or put us in an uh, expectation of something being done or being used in a certain way, and then the Lord weakens us in that very thing that we think surely at this time we should be strong, not weak. And yet we know with the account with Abraham that it was a right way. Just before Isaac was born, we have our Lord saying that that which is impossible with men is not impossible with God. And that really sums up Abraham's weakness. Impossible with men. That's how weak he was. And then we think later on, we go right from there, the first promises, and then we come to when John Baptist were born, and the Lord used the same thing. Elizabeth, she was childless and couldn't, and almost the same words are said to her, and same words said to, to Mary that that which was impossible is not impossible with God. But the Lord's wisdom was to make Abraham to be weak in body. Then we think of Moses. Now Moses, when he was born, his parents by faith, they preserved him, they put him in the, the basket. The Lord in providence brought him to Pharaoh's household. And then after 40 years, Moses, he, was, he thought that they would understand that God by his hand would deliver them out of Egyptian bondage. But they didn't understand and he had to flee and go into the wilderness for another 40 years. And then God met with him at the burning bush. But instead of finding Moses now ready to take the part and ready to lead the people, he finds a, a much more weakened, humbled Moses. And in the very thing that he was called to do, lead the people, Moses in himself has got every objection. He cannot speak well. There's every reason why he shouldn't be the one that should go. And you can read uh, in Exodus of all the Lords speaking to him. And in the end, the Lord angry with him and saying uh, that um, Aaron, he could speak well and he was coming to meet him. He would speak on God's behalf. Aaron would speak to the people. But... Moses was brought to really know, and it comes out several times later on, where the people say to Moses as if he has led them out of Egypt. And Moses can so clearly say it was not him that brought them out. The Lord brought them out. Yes, he was the chosen instrument, but he had no power. He had no mind at all. And he had to learn that. And the Lord's way was to not send him after the 40 years, but after 80 years. In the Lord's time, in a very different Moses. Then we go to Gideon. <clears throat> Gideon, in the time that the Midianites came up again and again into the land of Israel, 
They took out all the increase in the land and Israel was greatly distressed. And God met with Gideon who felt to be least in his father's house and the least tribe in Israel and God chose him to be the leader to deliver Israel at that time. And you might think, well, the Lord would surely strengthen him and strengthen them numerically. Well, he did strengthen him with signs, the fleece wet, the fleece dry, and encouraged with the dream uh, of the cake of barley bread that fell into the camp. He greatly encouraged him in that. But you think here his job or his position The Lord was calling him to fight, to deal with, as an army, against the Midianites, which were a great host. Wouldn't it be best to have a nice army, a strong army? But the Lord said, no, they are too many. Tell them that are fearful and afraid that they can go home. And 22,000 of them went home, left 10,000 of his army. What a strong, courageous army he had. But then the Lord said that that was too many too. So he took them down to the water and then tested them, saw how they drank from the stream, whether they bent down and whether they lapped up the water like a dog or whether they put their hands in and and, and held it up to their mouth and, and drank that way. And he divided them out and there was only 300 that were, were lapping like a dog And the Lord said by them that he would choose, uh, would save Israel. I think I've got that around the right way. But whichever way it was, the Lord reduced it. So instead of 10,000, there was only 300 men. And then they weren't going with bows or arrows or swords, but with pitchers and lanterns and trumpets in their hand. And really, in a way, is a beautiful type of the, the Trinity, the three companies and coming from three quarters. And it was the Lord that put every man's sword against each other and that caused a great delivery that day, deliverance that day. But the way to it was to have that army reduced very low. What a trial of Gideon's faith have so few against so many. We have a similar case with Jehoshaphat when years later than Gideon, Jehoshaphat is faced with those of Moab and Mount Seir coming against them and he says in prayer to the Lord that we have no might against this company. He's very mindful that they didn't, neither know we what to do but our eyes are upon thee. And the Lord, through his prophets, said that they would not need to fight in that battle. The Lord would fight for them. They went forth praising the Lord, believing the word that God had said. But the way to it first was for Jehoshaphat to really feel how weak he was and how few Israel were, that they had no might. Then we have the case of Hezekiah. 
This is in the time that Assyrian armies came. Rabshakeh was railing against Israel, Sennacherib. He was fighting elsewhere, but sending to Israel and trying to weaken them, making out the gods of Judah were the same as those nations round about. Assyria had already taken the other ten tribes into captivity, and they were trying to take uh, Judah as well. We read that uh, Hezekiah he strengthened his army, strengthened his defences, and strengthened the people in the Lord their God. But when we read those accounts, we read that at this time that Hezekiah was sick unto death. Hezekiah at that time did not have a son. There was no line. He was in the line to Christ, but no son. In that way, he's very weak. And then being told to put his house in order that he should die and not live. And you think, surely at the time that Assyria is coming, you need the captain, you need the king to be healthy and strong. Not weak, but strong. But God chose to lay him on a bed of affliction, a deathbed. And then as he pleaded with the Lord, as he poured out his complaint to the Lord, then the Lord sent Isaiah back and told him that he would add 15 years to his life and that he would also deliver Judah out of the hand of the Assyrian army. And it was then that the angel went forth and slew 185,000 of the Assyrian army and delivered little Judah in the midst of all those nations round about. But that time that Hezekiah was reduced, how often we, we don't really realise when something needs doing and yet you're laid on a bed of affliction. You know, years ago, 16 so years ago here in the trials that we had here and extra responsibilities, things fell upon me and I wondered how I would cope, how I would get on, how I'd be able to do those things falling to my Lord. The way the Lord answered it, he gave me First chest infection, then a quincy, and then pneumonia, and laid me on a bed of affliction for six weeks. And the ministers round about here, they came, and they took over, and they helped. And it was as if the Lord says, you think it's all on your shoulders, it's not on your bed. That's how much I need you. And the Lord provided. It's been a lesson, I hope, I hope I've never forgotten that just when I felt that, well, I needed to be healthy and strong, the Lord said, no, I've got other lessons to show you where your strength and where your help comes from. And so I can really equate in that way with Hezekiah and what the Lord did then. You think later on with, with Israel in Jeremiah's day, coming up to the time they were brought to Babylon. And Israel then were walking in a way of pride, just like fallen man. And their prophets were saying the same, saying that there was 
no reason to fear. Babylon wouldn't come, encouraging them in every evil and sinful way, while Jeremiah exhorted them to repent and to turn to the Lord and to forsake their idols. But they continued on in their way. And the Lord then, he brought them down. He brought Babylon as his servant, Nebuchadnezzar, to bring them into captivity. The temple was destroyed. But you know, Matthew, that time of Babylon, that's one of the marks in the 14 generations, from Abraham to David, 14 generations, from David to the carrying away into Babylon, 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. And we don't read that the children of Israel sinned in the same great way when they came back. Yes, there were sins and they had to be dealt with, but the way the Lord dealt with them was to bring them very low in captivity in another land before then they were brought back, raised up, and Christ came as was promised. So many times in the history of Israel, the light, the line seemed almost to be extinguished. And at last, when the Lord comes, they're forsaken of both their kings, as was prophesied, and the Romans have the rule over them. But the Lord comes and you think, well, if the Lord is going to offer a sacrifice and for his people, he'd come at a time when his people weren't under the rule of another nation. And certainly when someone's as wicked as Herod, who's going to kill all the innocents trying to destroy the Lord, he wouldn't come in such a bad time as that. And yet the Lord does come. You know, quite often we can look at the surrounding things and think God can't bless here. He can't make this a blessing. But when we look at our Lord's birth and we look at our Lord's death and the great things that were done in both those times and the outward circumstances, what hath God wrought? And the weakness from the circumstances and from his people made really the Lord's glory and Lord's work even greater to be seen. And we think of a couple of characters in the New Testament. We think of Peter, Peter's uh, testimony and how that he said, though all should forsake thee, yet will not I. And we know that the other disciples said the same, but Peter was so adamant that he would not deny his Lord and master, and the Lord said to him, I prayed for thee that thy faith fell not, but he warned him that he would deny him three times. And Peter did. Peter was left to fall in that way. He didn't lose his faith. He remained still a follower, still a believer. He wasn't cast away. And the Lord said, when thou art converted or when thou art restored, Strengthen thy brethren. But Peter had to walk that path, a path to be really humble, to be then of use amongst the churches. We think then of Paul, the apostle. The Lord meeting with him, you might say in two ways he was humble. First, he was a Pharisee, 
of the Pharisees, as he says. And the Pharisees were very proud. They were full of themselves, self-sufficient, despised the publican, as the Lord showed in the parable. But the Lord humbled Paul, Saul of Tarsus, laid him low, and then raised him up again. Three days without sight, Ananias came to him that he might receive his sight. I'll show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And that beginning of the apostles' usefulness and blessing amongst the churches was to be cut down, laid low and humbled before God. Then he was blessed, blessed with visions into the third heavens and he says that lest he should be exalted above measure, who has given him a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet him. And he sought the Lord three times that that might go from him. But the Lord said that my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for thee. And Paul's estimate then of that was that I would rather glory in my infirmity when I am weak, then am I strong. But the Lord weakened him. And we read of those in Hebrews, those in faith, out of weakness, were made strong. And I've only just given just a little sample, maybe perhaps think as we read the scriptures and come off against character after character, how many times that they are weakened, how many times when what they are to do, what they are to accomplish in their ministry or in their lives, it seems in that very point the Lord chooses to weaken them and to take away a natural strength or take away a numerical strength or take away health that they needed bring them into a position where, like in Psalm 107, they fell down, there was none to help, and then they cried unto the Lord in their distresses. So we have the experience and example of the people of God to guide us, to encourage us. We're not alone in the past. Sometimes it might be hard for us to take our situation and our strength and our lives and say well actually that does pattern that is is not strange this is something that is comparable with those who have gone before us but what was the purpose what is the purpose of the Lord dealing with his people in that way well in some of these cases the Lord very specifically told them why. We think of what we said of Abraham, that that which is impossible with man is not impossible with God. And really the whole of salvation is impossible with man. Man cannot bring forth the Lord. He cannot save himself. He cannot deliver himself. Salvation is of the Lord. And that work that is to be done 
is to be done out of weakness, not out of man's strength. And we find the same with Gideon. It told very clearly that the reason why his army had to be strengthened, lest they should say that their own hand and their own mind had got them the victory. So it is brought again into a way you say it is impossible, naturally speaking, without a miracle, without the Lord appearing for them and delivering them, they could never achieve the victory that they had achieved at all. My mind goes to another case and how the Lord used that as well. And that is with Israel, with Goliath challenging Israel for 40 days. 40 is a testing time. Could they find a deliverer? They couldn't. Not in King Saul, in none. But not long before that, David had been secretly anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. And so David is sent by his father to see how his brethren are getting on. And he must go with his sling. He must go relying on what the Lord did with the deliverance out of the poor of the lion and poor of the bear. And David comes very clearly that it would be the Lord that gave the victory and gave the deliverance. And at the same time, not only was the glory to the Lord, but David was thrust into the limelight before all of the people of Israel and before the Philistines, where the Lord in secret anoints, then fast followed on from that, is the outward providence joining along with it. And you have these times, these cases where, that are done that the Lord might be glorified, that he might be exalted, that a people are dependent upon their God and they put the crown on his head and his head alone. And we see from Peter's epistles how much he used that lesson, not pointing to great blessings he'd had, but pointing to the word of God and speaking to those that, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. He speaks of the wonderful blessings and inheritance, but he speaks of the necessity of the heaviness through manifold temptations, a path that he himself had walked and a path that you and I will also walk through temptations and trials and difficulties that humble us, lay us low, dependent on the Lord. And with the Apostle Paul right through his ministry, I believe he had approved it, the need of the grace of God, the need the Lord sustained him and helped him while he felt his weakness, while even those who he preached to, they despised him. They said his speech was contemptible and laid many things to his charge. But the Lord used him, blessed him, and the Lord will use and bless all of his people but in such a way that the crown is placed upon his head and his alone. Our text speaks of the experience of the people of God to testify 
what the Lord has actually done and done for them and done in their lives. He weakened my strength in the way. Not man, not Satan, but the Lord. The Lord did it for his own ends and own teaching. Sometimes in our lives, and certainly with those that we've spoken of, we can trace in providence that this is the Lord's work. It's not just a chance. It's not just something that has happened. You say, well, everyone has these setbacks and everyone has these problems. And, uh, and you can be tempted to think, well, now surely the Lord would have appeared and delivered me from that. But where we can get actually able to trace that the Lord has ordered this. We, we might be hard against ourselves for things we've done or said and our part in bringing ourselves low. But if in the, the Lord's providence he's shown us things that he has done it to bring us down and to humble us and he's given us lessons, teaching, things to do taken away the bitterness, things that have helped in the way, things that have assured us we still are in the way. So on one hand, the devil says, if you're in the way, all these trials, all these troubles, all this weakness wouldn't happen. On the other hand, you cannot but deny there's those tokens <coughs> for good, answers for prayer, helps in the way. And then you can see a walking in this text. He, not the devil or man, but the Lord weakened my strength in the way. And yes, eventually, with all of us, the Lord will weaken our strength down and down until we are brought down to the grave where we have no strength and the Lord takes away our life and the soul returns to him that gave it. And then the Lord, the last day shall raise our bodies from the grave. Can there be any picture so great of the weakness of man when man is a dust and he's in the grave? And yet God will raise him up from that. And happy the soul that through their life has said, I know, the Lord's raised me up from low places and from weakness time and time again. And at last he shall raise my mortal body and he shall strengthen it and give me a body that is a celestial one, one that has no weakness, one that doesn't need any weakness but is all strong and shall see him and be with him forever and ever. He weakened my strength in the way. What a blessing to have a God who deals with us, who deals with us not just for all temporal good and outward blessings, but for the good of our soul, for his honour and glory. And this is part of the things that he does, weakening our strength in the way. May we see his purpose and be able to give him the honour and glory and praise for his work and for his redemption and what he has accomplished at Calvary through weakness made strong. May the Lord add his blessing. Amen.